Hi, I'm your host, Tina Clark, and welcome to my Weirdest Experience podcast. This is the podcast of the weirdest experience that has ever happened to you and gives you a venue to fully express yourself and share your weirdest story with the world. This is the No Judgment Zone, a safe place to share your experience. It's also a place where we discuss what happened to you and share some possible theories on what and why this happened. If you would like to be on the show, email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. Hi, welcome to the show today. I'm your host, Tina. I'm here with Andrew Brewer. He's a psychic and he has been a psychic since his early 20s. And he's been a professional psychic since his 30s. And I follow Andrew on Facebook because I pretty much agree on everything that he says because he is on point. He's very entertaining. He's very funny. He's very smart. And I'm so happy to have you on the show, Andrew. Welcome. Thank you. It's always good to be entertaining. Thank you, Tina. That <laughs> makes me happy. If we can't have fun, then what's the point? Well, you know, the problem, I think, is that people get too serious about it. I mean, it's a serious thing when you're working with people. It's really serious. But in a general sense, you should be able to kind of make fun of yourself and you should be able to explore. You know, I don't want to get into the point. I'm sure you feel this too, where I'm an expert on everything. I'm still trying to figure stuff out. I mean, I'm 66 years old and I'm trying to figure stuff out. And I think there should be a way to engage with each other. And sometimes in psychic world, it gets extraordinarily yeah, everything is an earth angel kind of thing. And that just annoys me. So I want to be more Zen, more chill. So, so I'm glad that I'm entertaining. So that's a good thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Anter is very honest. So if you find him on Facebook, he's very honest. And you said you, you mentioned while we were chit chatting before I were pressed record that you became a professional psychic at 32 because you're trying to pick up a girl. So what's the story with that? So, so when I was in my early 20s, the psychic thing really hit me hardcore. And I tried to figure out, and I spent most of my 20s meditating, sort of locked away. Then when I was 32, I had moved into an apartment, and I went to get something to drink, like at 7-Eleven, and there's this bookstore on like a like a bookstore to me is like an instant magnet. So I go into this bookstore and it's a new age bookstore in Columbus, Ohio. I thought, whoa, this is like San Francisco again. So I'm in there. It's just me. And at the front, there are like four super beautiful women and me. So I'm walking around. They're looking at me. I'm looking at them. They're looking. So I go up and I, they're talking about astrology. I go, well, I know astrology. So I sat and I read all their charts for them. So the, and then the woman that started the store said, oh, my God, we're doing a grand opening. I want you to be there. I go, hell no. I'm not. <laughs> there's no way. I'm not doing this for people. I mean, not that you aren't people, but I'm not like doing it in public for people. Oh, no, you have to. You have to. You have to. So I did. And then I started getting clients. And then within a couple of months, I had this big radio gig. Like, And then a few years after that, I was on national TV. So I had no, I mean, literally, I had zero intention of doing it. I went kind of kicking and screaming the whole way. 
but it came about because there were four women in this store who were talking about astrology. And I guess I wanted to show off and you got to be careful when you talk. That's all I can say. Well, so that happened pretty easily for you then. It was super easy. Everything went super fast for me. I had, um, and in the beginning it annoyed people because the people who had done it for a while, when I showed up out of nowhere, because yeah. I was you know young then, they weren't too down with it. And then later, I did one of those three ninety nine a minute infomercials. So how I got that, you know, was like they had interviewed all these people. I kept interviewing all these people, and they came to me and talked to me. You know, like in the cartoons where you see the wolf and his eyes light up like knife and fork, like he's ready. When the producer saw me, you can see the little dollar signs kind of flashing his eyes. So then I went and did this infomercial. And it just, you know, I had a newspaper column and I just had a bunch of stuff and it just happened like, bam. Uh, and then I quit. I actually quit doing it when I was on national TV 24 hours a day. I was offered a contract to go to L.A. and do television in 1992. And we had a little baby and it was kind of a choice. And my ex-wife didn't want to go to Los Angeles. So I had to pick. And so I just quit. And then I did it again when I was in my 50s. Yeah, life's weird. But that's sort of the short term story. What but was yeah, that's. What was the show in 1992? Cabrina Psychic Answer. Mm-hmm. So Cabrina Psychic Answer, there used to be this. People remember that one. Well, there was another one. I was on one. The hosts were Eric Estrada. He was in Chips. I don't know if you remember yeah, that. Yeah, I remember him. And Jenny Lee Harrison. I love Jenny Lee Harrison. Uh, she was Suzanne Summers, who placed in a food company. And uh-huh. Richard Roundtree, the dude that was Shaft, was in it. And a bunch of, like, half a general hospital was in it. <laughs> and um, so I was in that. And I made a prediction for Jenny Lee that she'd be doing live theater. She said, well, you know, that's impossible. I said, I don't know. I just see you doing theater. So we filmed it in L.A. and Burbank in, like, June of 92. And then by the time they released it, which was August of 92, within that six-week period – out of nowhere, she got some offer to do, and I'm sorry, my phone keeps clanging. She got an offer to do live theater. So they included it like, your $3.99 a minute is better spent with us than Linda George and all her people, because we have the, you know, the real ones in that. So I did that, and they wanted me to do some more, but then I had to quit. So. Hmm. So if you could look back on your vast experience, what is the weirdest thing that ever happened to you? The most bizarre or wow. unusable? Or what would be at the top three? I don't know. I mean, I've had so many strange things uh, in terms of. So so give me like an area. Like I can pick a strange <laughs> thing to Pick a specific kind of topic. You know, I could talk about, I used to do murder cases and things like that. I won't touch those, the 900-foot pole now. Wow. Uh, um, well, have you ever I done did. a case of someone that, you ever heard of missing 911? 
I mean, missing. Well, I used to do a lot of missing person things. You know, I was never back in the nineties when I was on, when I was on Karina psychic answer, they sort of came to me for a while and then I was over it. Uh, The problem with that, like there's no psychic that's 98% accurate and there's no psychic that knows all. And I've done a lot of stuff and the emotions associated with this, because lots of times these are missing children. Mm -hmm. The emotions associated with this is it's pretty intense. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I steer away from those types of things. I'm much more now a Sigmund Freud kind of psychic. I'm much more about emotions, which is, you know, how emotions drive the ways in which you process information, which is going to drive the way in which you make decisions, which is going to impact your future. But the like missing person remote viewing stuff I use, I've done those things back in my first round and, and when I was in my 30s. But when I came back the second time, I didn't want to fool with that too much. Yeah. So have you ever heard of missing 411? No. So it's a set of books, set of books by a police detective named David Polites, and he started investigating missing person cases in the forests of North America and Canada. And what he writes about are the ones that are a little bizarre and odd, and I would say paranormal. And it's creepy because there are people who go missing in forests and completely disappear. Well, I mean, there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, Accessibility, you know, how people can sort of blend where they go. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, there's not traffic in order to see it as it happens. Mm -hmm. So the fact that there are, maybe a disproportionate share of missing person cases that happen when you're in remote areas. It's not, I mean, that's not really surprising too much. I don't think. Yeah. Sometimes it's not remote. Sometimes there's a lot of people around actually. (laughs) So I don't know. Um, Categories. What's a category you like to talk about? Whatever, whatever, like I said, you know, whatever comes out of your mouth, I will respond to <laughs> you know, whatever you want to talk about. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to, you know, I'm just, you know, we're just hanging out. Whatever you want to talk about is good. Okay. <sighs> well, I do enjoy your QAnon posts and you do a lot of those. So for people who don't know what we're talking about, QAnon is this conspiracy theory that to kind of summarize it sees a dark dark cabal of people typically democrats you know celebrities and whatever who are part of what's called the deep state who are trying to take over and control the world that's a simplistic way to put it so early in the game when it first showed up I said, well, this is nonsense, which didn't really endear me to the people who were saying that this is the truth. So because of whatever attention I got, um, I was willing at that point, 2017 and 18, to go, uh, no, Ablo, uh, this, this what you're saying 
isn't true. And and so I was I felt that how's the best way to say this? I felt as if my primary job and still feel that way is to protect people as much as I can. And the problem that I saw with QAnon was that many people were being misled. And, you know, there's a half a pound of truth to something that doesn't mean that they can't distort the rest of it. And so that's what was happening with QAnon. And so a lot of people, especially people in the new age community, they were being sucked into this and, you know, people were confused by it. And I felt that this was disruptive to them. And so I started making fun of them. You know, I tried to do it. Uh, I guess I was kind of making fun of them. But primarily what I was trying to do is to say to those who are on the fence, because the big mantra for QAnon was to do the research, I'm saying, hey, y'all, this, this doesn't make sense. And I want you to recognize what's really behind the scenes. So they made a lot of predictions about things that would happen. And I made a lot of predictions about things that would happen. And I was right. I mean, you can go back and, you know, measure it, count it, add them up and do the percentages. I was right a lot. And they were pretty much wrong every single time. So, so for me, in the beginning, and I hope this isn't boring, uh, in the beginning, you know, it was a lot of people it was sort of a conflict and it hurt my career and it put me under a lot of, a lot of people didn't like me for it. I got death threats. I mean, literally, uh, because I was raining on their parade, but in retrospect, QAnon now is, I believe seen for what it is sort of a, uh, a crazy off the shelf, often left field kind of thing. And that, you know, being rational and finding a middle ground, it's probably a better way to operate. So that's the short version. I started calling them QAcon, and then I would call it QRosis and other <laughs> stuff. And again, this is why I entertain you, but perhaps not why, uh, perhaps a way I, reason I annoyed the QAnon people. So yeah. they really don't like me. That's an understatement. I'm sure. They don't like anybody that don't, doesn't agree with them. Well, initially, I think they wanted to recruit me into their world um, because I was, again, kind of an outlaw psychic. Uh, but when I didn't go for what they were selling, then they they got over me in a hurry. So. Yeah. I, what about I, you? What was your experience like with them? Oh, Lordy. I mean, you know. In the, in the life I live, I look at everything, you know, I listen to everything because even the stuff that I don't agree with, because I want to make up my own mind. So I had a friend locally who was quite a QAnoner and I really loved being with her. I loved hanging out with her. She was also a Reiki master. But her posts on social media were kind of crazy. And she was like forwarding Twitter posts like they were fact and research and, you know, truth. And I was like, who are these people? And why are they saying these things? And where are they coming from? So 
you know, the past four years have been like a shit show for <laughs> in general, the new age movement. Don't you agree, Andrew? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, the problem, one of the big problems for me with QAnon and a lot of the things that I see is that there's an underlying racist element. It's not even that far into the surface. It's very much anti-women. There's a lot of anti-Semitism. If you're really going to get on my, you know, bad side, being anti-Semitic or, you know, disparaging to women or being racist, these are not ways to endear yourself to me. Mm -hmm. So, so when I would call them out early, when it was a little, when people were afraid, I think a lot of people initially were afraid to cause controversy. Since I was sort of controversy, you know, 24 hours a day, I thought, well, hey, I'm tailor-made for this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would get people who would email me. I'm so happy for what you're saying, but I can't comment on what you're saying because I don't want people to know. I'm like, well, you know, in order to make the world better, sometimes you have to take a risk and reach out and try to stand up for people who are being oppressed. You know, I wrote a lot of stuff about women because to me, the legislation that I could see it was designed to suppress women because I think that these men were afraid of women's power. And I think they should get over themselves and try to have a more egalitarian system. So all those things saying that all this was racist. Well, they didn't want to hear that saying y'all are trying to be anti women. And I started talking about this, you know, 15 years ago, that didn't go over. Well, Oh no, we love women. Okay. Well then what you're doing doesn't seem to support that theory. There's tremendous racism. And then when we saw Charlottesville and all the rest of it, I had predicted all that. Oh, that can't happen because we live in a love and light universe. Okay, we'll kick back and wait. So when it started showing up and was doing exactly what I predicted pretty much, then, you know, to speed my narrative along, I wanted to take a stand And I wasn't afraid too much to take some heat to do it. So later, people, as they saw that, you know, they weren't completely out on an island by themselves, they would jump onto it. But initially, when I started saying these things, there weren't too many people who would say in public. Uh, But I felt confident that I knew what I was talking about. And I also felt confident that I wasn't just going to stand by and let a bunch of, you know, neo-Nazi, anti-Semitic crap won't pass me without saying something. So that's that's the behind the scenes story. Yeah. And for me with that friend, I felt like she influenced me a little bit. And then I just started realizing this is crazy. Like none of this is happening. They kept making predictions and it would never happen. It was laughable. So I ended the friendship and I gave her a long time and I kept checking in. Is she okay now? Is she seen the light? Nope. <laughs> She's still on that path. And I said, okay, I'm done. We have a new president. I'm done. So I had to do a lot. I, predict- I had to do that a lot. I had to filter through yeah, my, so my social media contacts, my friends. Um family i've kept some family because they're family but you know i really put my foot down 
Yeah, I had to do that too. And, and, um, and it's not much fun because a lot of these people were really close friends of mine at one point, some of them really good friends of mine. And, you know, I mean, it's just like my family, you know, I didn't really fit in with them so much. I was too liberal for them. And, you know, they were, they were from a different, different universe than I really inhabit. Uh, but in psychic world, you know, then a lot of people who profess to be all love and light and, you know, but they really were, were, were pushing these ideas that were oppressive to large groups of people. It was a form of elitism. Mm-hmm. And, and again, uh, these things don't really gel with the attitude that we're here to help people. So if you profess to be a helper or somebody cares about the collective, and yet you're, you're espousing viewpoints that are obviously white people are good, white men are good, everything else is not so much, well, we have a problem, you know? So um, I just felt that it was important for me to keep saying it and, and not to, because, it, you know, people were nervous. They didn't know what to think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there were people, because I had whatever kinds of following I had, uh, were asking me questions and I wanted to be there for them and I wanted to be consistent and I also wanted to, in some sense, say, "Yeah, you all can stand behind me. Uh, it's going to be okay." And you know whether that worked or not is, you know, who knows. Uh, but that's what I tried to do. And you know, I predicted Biden was going to be president, was going to win. You know, and there are a lot of psychics saying, "You know, Trump's going to be a two-term president." I said, "Well, unless one of them's in prison, I think you're all going to miss this." You know, <laughs> so um, so anyway. <laughs> That's my QAnon, my short, my short QAnon story. Sure. I could talk about QAnon, uh, QAcon for four days, but I don't want to talk about QAcon for four days because <laughs> they get too much, too much airplay now. Did you read the thing I wrote today about codependency in yes. QAcon? Yes. Mm-hmm. What'd you think of that? I loved it. I said, yes, I can't wait to talk to you this afternoon. That was my comment. So I'm going to quote myself here, basically. I said today, actually, I compared QAcon basically to codependency. And a lot of the people, because, you know, when you get into a codependent relationship, what happens is that people are really addicted to the emotions that come out of the dysfunction. In some sense, the dysfunction makes them comfortable because it elicits uh, reactions within them that they're used to, and they become, in my belief, they become addicted to the emotions. So they make the, they make the relationship a hot mess because the hot mess drives behavior that then triggers these emotions and they kind of get high on the emotion. So I believe that QAnon and the people who get into it, I basically said that they're in a codependent relationship. And so, you know, they're going to have problems when they try to, just like if you're in a relationship that has a codependent element to it, when you say, you know, maybe this relationship's not healthy, it can be complicated. The emotions, because you develop um, a dependency on the crazy. 
So, I mean, that's paraphrasing what I wrote, but that's, that's basically what's going on. I think. Yeah. It's good to think for yourself and be independent and, you know, try to be nice to other people and be fair to everybody, no matter what, but not to get too caught up in everybody else's trip and not to get sucked into things just because three other people are sucked into it. So, yeah. Well, yeah. So I'll, I'll also one of your favorite topics is reincarnation. My very favorite. Actually. Your very favorite. So what's your take My on reincarnation? Favorite. Why are we reincarnating? What's the point? I think people like it here. I look at it. So people are going, I don't like it here. This is my last incarnation. I'm over it. I'm gone. <laughs> I've I'm heard that a lot too. <laughs> I'm ascending to the Pleiades and I won't be back. You know, I'm over it. I go, great. I'll see you whenever. Uh, so I think that people come because they like it. That's the first thing. So what is it that comes? What if I'm reincarnating, what exactly is the thing that reincarnates? That is where I think we should really pay some attention. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give you a little background, if I may. And if I'm just rambling, Tina, shut me up because I can I can start talking. So okay. uh, so don't don't be shy. Um, but to me, I don't believe that consciousness is strictly housed within the brain. So this is an important piece of the lunacy of my theory because I don't think it's lunacy, but I'm just saying that. This is an important component, bedrock foundational element of my theory on reincarnation, that consciousness is external. That consciousness is like Google Cloud. And we are like a laptop. And we have apps and we have a hard drive. We have stuff that processes the data in Google Cloud, but we need some kind of connection to this data source. And that data source is there whether our laptop breaks or not. So if our laptop goes funky, we buy a new laptop, hopefully everything's still in Google Cloud. You know, my my Google Photos and all the rest of it's still there. So that Google Photos and all the rest of it, to me that's consciousness. And that consciousness, Google Photos and Google Slides and all the rest of it is what reincarnates the an imprint from that data source so so i think that what happens is that we have a reciprocal relationship between us as the walking laptop and this external source and we connect to that source that when we die the laptops we got to buy a new laptop, but we still have all of our data. And the next time we get a laptop, we just plug in, put in a password, poof, there we go. We just download it again. The problem is going to be that each time we get a laptop, maybe it's got a new operating system. Maybe it doesn't have this thing and it's got some new thing. And so we've got to adapt to the, the apps that we get. This is cultural. This is genetic. This is all sorts of things. And we modify it, but the basic or photos in Google Photos, not to keep plugging Google, uh, is still there. It comes with us. I believe that all past lives 
which is why I do these weird, crazy photos all the time, all past lives will look alike. I believe they'll have a certain kind of energetic similarity. So I think that we come to express ourselves more than learn. So I look at life as an art project more than, you know, a trial, you know, for us to get better. I mean, hopefully we're evolving in some sense within our own lives, but I think we come to express who we are more than to find who we are. And so I also think we have one foot here and because of consciousness is somewhere else, we have one foot there. So there is a, to me, and we talked about this when you're talking about, you know, the hurricanes coming through Charleston, we have a way of connecting with the spiritual essence because that's who we are. So if we learn to, if we have really good Wi-Fi, basically, a stronger connection to that source, then we're going to bring more here. And it's going to change the way in which we understand all the other laptops that are connected to Google Cloud. So is Google I hope that Cloud, made sense. yeah, is Google Cloud the creator or God or whatever people want to call? So that's a good question. So I'm going to give you the Andy version okay. of what that, what that is. So to me, who, we might, in this particular analogy, we're going to say that Google, the great wizard of Google, whoever that might be, and the team that creates all, that created this data source in the cloud, or the cloud in general, they would be the creators. But me, I've got my own account in Google Cloud, and that account is me. The people that own Google, again, in this analogy, would be the gods. I'm not saying that Google is a god. Please don't think that. Uh, but in this particular analogy, so, so I think that, so if I make a prediction, or Tina, if you make a prediction, and I predict something that happens two years from now, it happens just the way I said it would, and it looks like what I described, well, how the hell is that possible? So what I believe is happening, and I'm not 98% accurate. There's nobody 98% accurate, by the way. You know, I say goofy, crazy stuff all the time. But, but I'm accurate pretty often, right? So if I say something's going to happen, and I describe the location and describe the people and, the, and give kind of an overview of what's going what's to happen, and later it happens, well, that wasn't in my head. How did I get to two years from now consciously in order to describe it? When I used to do a lot of remote viewing stuff and I describe a place somewhere else and I'm describing it, people go, yeah, that's just what it looks like. Well, how the hell is that possible? It's not in my brain. I haven't been to some of these places. The ones they're talking about, I'm pretty sure I haven't been. So how am I able to describe it unless there's a part of me that's like, you know, basically teleporting to this location. From a mechanistic standpoint, this is impossible. So if we take a Newtonian mechanistic view of consciousness that man is a machine, when psychic ability, I understand why they think psychics are cranks. 
because it's it's not it's not possible in that particular model. So if we incorporate the idea that these things are actually happening, we have some kind of empirical evidence. Dude, I just did it. Deal with it. Then we have to look at that mechanistic model to see if it works or not. So I believe that consciousness is non-local, external. And so I think that what reincarnates is basically like you log on and all your stuff downloads onto your laptop. That's what I think reincarnates. And the laptop is sort of the genetic shell. And to further make a funky analogy even funkier, I believe that we shop for DNA and astrology and cultural and family connections that will match what we're ready to download. So that's my theory. This is the simplistic version of my theory, but that's. So I think you reincarnate because you like it. I think you want to show off who you are. I think you come back and kind of look and act the same you did last time. And come on, so, good to see you again. We'll see you next round. So how does karma come into that? I don't look at karma like... Tina was really rude for you to have shot me in the 18th century. So I hate it for you, but I'm going to do something nasty to you now. I don't think of it like that. Mm -hmm. I don't think of it as retribution. I think of it as an opportunity to do better, to express yourself at the highest level. So I have a very different conception of karma in this eye for an eye kind of space. Mm -hmm. I look at, so the way in which we think about ourselves, this is why I'm a Sigmund Freud psychic now, the way in which we think about ourselves influences so dramatically the way in which we can process external information. And that processing of that information really lays the groundwork for what we're going to do with our life. So. We have an emotional template, and I think that emotional template is karmic in that, again, we have a way of processing that's almost habitual. So I would look at karma as a way to refine the ways in which we process emotions so that we can be more, we can have a wider breadth of knowledge about what's really happening, we can see a wider field, basically, and that we can take uh, a more thoughtful uh, approach to the way in which we respond to it. So if I'm just like, well, that just pisses me off, dude, it's on. Well, that's one way of dealing with it. Or I go, well, you know, maybe I should think about it. Maybe I should stop, take a deep breath. You, you learn that, right? You, you change. And so I think that part of, to me, spiritual evolution is just that, is that you take a different approach to the way in which you process external stimuli. And that processing um, process, how's that for a weird way to say it? The processing process, I need to be more creative in the way I said, is driven by habit. So you want to change your life, you change your habits. You want to change your habits, you need to identify what they are. 
Oh, you said that people like to come here to express who we are. Why do we need to express who we are? That is an interesting question for which I don't have an adequate answer, but I'm going to give you my Andy answer anyway. I think that there is a, um, there must be something that's unique to being in a body from an emotive standpoint that is worth the trouble to come and be here. That the interaction between Google Cloud and my photo app on my phone, I need both. And so, because it gives me a way to transform it, because it's local to me here, I think that people must have unique sets of experiences that can only be felt within a physical body. Why we created, why Google created the earth, we don't know. Who created Google? Well, I don't know any of these things. I'm not that smart. Uh, so these are my attempts, excuse me, my attempts to make sense of stuff. You know, I mean, originally I started this because I was just confused. I mean, I was a confused dude. And I would see stuff and go, well, this doesn't make sense. And I respond to things that were, you know, like I respond to old furniture and old things. And they would just have these like weird deja vu things. And I wanted to understand why is this bugging me? Just leave me alone. I want to go do my thing. Uh, and, um, and so I was trying to understand why I was responding to this stuff and why I was seeing this stuff in my head that would happen. Well, I have no frame of reference for this. This is the 1970s in Ohio. Well, nobody talks about this. This, isn't, this is what I'm doing just makes me a crazy boy. So I was trying to understand it. And, and that was the catalyst for me to really start this whole process was to try to understand why the weird stuff in my head was there. What is it? How do I make sense of it? How can I move past it in some way? And in trying to, to get more and more data, more and more detail, I just went further and further down the psychic rabbit hole. And I found that in trying to learn how to find out what was in my head, I got good at this other thing, sort of as a byproduct. And then I had a job and I was on television, you know, so. Well, I think you're right. I think it has to do with emotions and the breadth of emotions that we experience in a physical body. And I don't think as a being, we experience that intensity and breadth of emotions when we're not in a body. I agree with that. Again, I don't know. I don't know the, the creation story. I don't know how it all came together. And I have no idea if what I'm saying is true or not. There's no, there's no way to check my work. Of course. Yeah. But it's it all feeling, me, but feelings are right. everything. Feelings. I think that too. Are the connection to our soul, our higher self, our, you know, oversoul are the feelings, not the thoughts, 
that's the domain of the ego. It's the feeling. So when I have clients, I always tell them, how do you feel about this? If you don't know what to do, you know, in your life or what to follow, what to research, what to learn, how do you feel about it? Do you feel excited? Do you feel pulled, literally pulled toward it? Then you should be doing that. And I do pretty much the same thing. Yeah, me too. And I think that where people get into trouble, where you and I have job security in the sense in which we do, is that most people, I believe, do something contrary to who they are because they've been taught that they should and who they really are. People have rained on that and poured water on it, tried to tell them that that's not appropriate. And so they're trying to discount what they really feel and trying to absorb some external thing that's got nothing to do with them. So, of course, there's things that fall through the cracks. So, and one of the, the most, the truest barometers to that would be your feelings, right? Mm-hmm. But most people deny their feelings because it scares them, because their feelings are disruptive to them, because it's telling them an unpleasant truth, which is this thing I'm forcing myself to be, that's not who I am. Mm-hmm. But they just continue because I think most people don't want the backlash that comes from other people saying, well, you know, Tina, that's kind of weird what you're doing. Are you sure, girl, that that's what you want to do? Wouldn't you be happier if you did what all the rest of us are doing? So that's what happens. Um, And I think that's why people deny their emotions, because they don't want, most people are not willing to do what I do, which is go, all right, I'm just going to say it anyway. If we're in a room and there's a light and it's green and 19 people look and go out to red light, if it looks green to me, I'm going to say, you know, it looks pretty damn green as far as I can see. And I'm not going to go, well, you know, maybe it's a kind of a greenish red. I'm just going to say it's green. Most people will say, you know, as I looked at it, it's kind of taken on a red, reddish tint to me. I think that's red. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's red. And I go, dude, that's green. So I'm a troublemaker, but I also don't have to go through all the confusion of trying to create something in my head that tells me that something as green as can be is really red. So, but. Yeah, and I think that has to do with self-confidence and belief in yourself, too. You know, if you're... For sure. Oh, I see green, and I don't care if y'all see red. I see green, and For I'm sure. sticking to it. You can't convince me otherwise. <laughs> God bless you. That's fantastic, Tina. Good for you. That's the way it should be. Confidence right. is magic with a K. Witchcraft is confidence. When you're confident, you make things happen. And if you're confident, you can you can buy yourself a lot of space. You know, it's not easy to get that, but but self-confidence really is a driving, it's the fuel that drives your train. The more you have of it, the faster and further your train's gonna go. For sure. Right. And and, and this, part of that is standing up for yourself. Right. And in this realm of the metaphysical and psychic and energy healing. I always say, if you doubt yourself, if you're afraid of it, it's going to block you. No matter how much you say you want to be good at it, you have to get rid of the fear and you have to believe in yourself. Right? Because if you're, if you're predicting things, you, you don't have any proof. It's all feeling and intuition 
there's not going to be any validation. Your validation has to come from yourself that you believe you're getting the best information at this time. Is it perfect? No, but it's pretty good, right? When you've been it's practicing pretty good. You know, so for long. time, you know, for me, I've had a chance to basically measure myself over a significant period of time. And so I have significantly more confidence in my, you know, psychic powers, if you want to look at it that way, than I did when I first started because I didn't have a frame of reference. I didn't know. I didn't have enough feedback. Well, now I've had it, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of people that I've done readings for and whatever I've done in public and all these public predictions and TV shows and all the rest of it. So there's a way in which you can say, you know, you get a lot of these right. You're not always right. And, you know, but you get a lot. And that makes me feel more assured of myself. And that allows me to take more chances and be more relaxed. And being relaxed is a key to performance in anything. Mm -hmm. Athletics, theater, business, sex, anything. It doesn't matter. Well, if you're relaxed, things are going to be better for you. So part of being relaxed is feeling confident, is doing your preparation, being in sync with what you're trying to do. And so if you do these things, the potential for you to have a happier experience, a more productive experience goes up. That's all you can do. You know, I think, I don't think you make things happen as much as you align yourself with the energy in which it's most likely to happen. I can't control what's going to happen, but I have a lot of influence in what I do for myself to put me in the right state of mind, the right state of being in order to do my best. And so those are choices. Right. So if you make the choices you make, the way you eat, the way you sleep, the people you hang with, any of those things, what you read, how, you know, how you invest your time, those are choices. Those are habits. And if you make choices that are in harmony with what you want to do, then when you do it, you should be more in sync with that thing that you're doing. So your productivity should go up. On top of that, if you know that you've done this stuff, you should be more chill and relaxed. So that also will make your productivity, your performance, and that particular point in time go up. You know, so. You're, yeah, you're talking about being in the flow. For sure. When I was an actor in Los Angeles, I kept getting movies all the time. If people would be, and I would tell them how many movies I'd been in and whatever period of time it was, and they go, that's impossible. I go, I understand it's impossible. However, this is what I'm doing. And so when I would go to a movie, I didn't have big parts in movies. But when I was there, I was never nervous because I was an actor. I was a professional actor. You know how I knew I was a professional actor? Because I'm your damn movie. That's how I knew. Like, now, if I was auditioning for something, which I didn't like doing, then I might be nervous. But if I was in a movie or I was going to be on TV or whatever, or do your radio show, I don't need to worry about it because I'm whatever. How do I know that? Because I'm here. Right. 
Well, I was a, I was a corporate executive. I've had an interesting life. I was a corporate executive for a while, an IT analyst who became an executive. And, and I would go to contracts and I would be there. And I, like, I didn't have a clue what I was doing, but I had a kind of a vibe that I seemed like I knew what I was doing. That confidence in general would buy me time until people figured out I didn't know what I was doing. And I just had to know what I was doing by the time they would have figured it out. So, so I knew that I was a corporate executive because I had a key to the building. I had a place to sit and people talk to me and act like I was something because that's the way they responded to me. I go, well, I obviously belong because I'm here and you're all talking back to me. If I'm in a movie, I'm a professional actor because I'm in your stupid movie. I'm not your stupid movie. I'm in this movie. So therefore, I know I'm an actor. Okay. It's that easy. But right. people get all like twisted knots because they go, oh, my God, nobody's going to like me. Well, you know, get out of your way and your chances of something good happening will go up. Again, I hope I'm not rambling like a crazy boy, but that's <laughs> what I think. Yeah, totally. You know, if you're doing it, you're doing it. If you, you know, took, to that. took a tarot class seven years ago and I started reading tarot to my friends and I started charging stuff and I said, oh, I'm, I'm a professional tarot reader because professionals get paid for what they do. Have I been doing it for years? No. Was I good at it? People were paying for me? Yeah, they still do. And that's, you know, kind of evidence. And as that goes on, then you go, well, these people have done it in the past and I've talked to them and they've said nice things to me or written nice things to me and they come back with well, this supports that I'm in harmony with reading Tarot, right? right? So as you do it, and as you get feedback, then you, in essence, morph into this thing, the Tina and the Tarot reader, they become more the exact same thing at the exact same time, and then there's no real disconnect. You know, you're in harmony with yourself, you're in harmony with your surroundings, you've made it so that you're not getting in your own way. I mean, that's a beautiful thing, you know? I mean, that's really the secret to everything is you, you try to not get in your own way and you try not to antagonize the elements around you. You try to be in harmony with what's around you right. and the probability of happy experiences goes up. I mean, it's well, you simple, try, don't let sounding, your but mind true. get in your way because your heart and your feelings will always stare you down the right path for you. Unless you're trying to suppress how you feel because of something you think you should think. That's where people get into trouble. Mm -hmm. Well, for someone who's in touch with their feelings and used to knowing what those are truly, we need to know that. Is it coming sure. from me? Is it for coming sure. from outside of me? Is it coming from the collective? You know. That's fantastic. That's just the way it should be, Tina. And, you know, you've had to make a choice at some point that that's how you're going to roll through life. You know, those are choices. And being in, basically in harmony with yourself and as much as possible getting out of your way, you know. I mean, we all do funky stuff and make mistakes and like, oh, my God, what am I doing? We all have that. So we're all these individual but, laptops and we're here and we're expressing ourselves because we love it. 
and we're feeling emotions because that's what we do in bodies. But on a collective big picture on the planet, what's going on right now, do you think? So I'm going to give you a little background first, and then I'm going to answer your question. Okay. So I predicted 10 years ago, well, actually I predicted in the 1980s, but I really started talking about it around 2011 and 2012, that we're going to see a rise in basically white nationalism, anti-Semitism. People told me this is impossible. I said, there's going to be some problems. There's going to be a lot of like racist, immigrant conflicts. It's going to be a hot mess, which to me was what happened. When the coronavirus first showed up, this kind of plays into QAcon. So when, when all this was going on initially and people were saying that this virus was a hoax and it was planted by the Democrats to make Trump look bad and all this other ridiculous madness, I had predicted in 2019, and you don't like to say this out loud too much because it makes people nervous, said it wouldn't surprise me if there's like a quote-unquote plague-like thing that shows up before too long you know and i just kind of let it go so when it first showed up on the scene everyone wanted not everyone but the ones who interacted with me wanted to know if i thought it was like a hoax i said i hate it for you this is no hoax this is going to be a big deal i didn't know how big of a deal but i knew it was going to be a big deal i knew it wasn't a joke and i knew that it was going to have an impact and i said it was going to have a really serious impact on the economy. And I predicted a couple of weeks before it happened, I said, don't be surprised there's not another bank bailout like 2008. Well, this it was impossible to people. Well, then that's what happened, right? So I said then that the world's going to be kind of a hot mess here. And it's going to be economic issues, serious issues. But that once you get through it, it will all kind of work out and then it will get better. So my answer is, I think that things are gonna get better because I believe there's a transformation that's happening within the way in which people operate. And I think that a lot of these theories that were put forth during Trump's presidency, they test drove those theories and I don't think they worked very well. And I think that a lot of people have come to a similar conclusion. And I think that collectively, we're going to take a different path. And I think in taking that different path collectively, we will see good things happen. So I'm actually very optimistic, maybe not this week, but I'm optimistic <laughs> for the long term. So I think that I think there will be police reform. I think there will be will get along better. I do think the economy will pick back up. I think that Biden will be very much like the closest thing to FDR we've seen, which I think is going to be good, a very Keynesian economic kind of approach, which I think is necessary here to kind of put things back in order. Much like I said, beginning of last year, I said, this is not 2008, this is 1929. I hate it for you, but we're going to be in a depression, not some little, this is going to be, this is going to 
mess with people and they're going to need help. Well, I'm just being negative. If I'd only think positive, okay, just like in 2007 when I said the housing market is going to crash, I used to do a lot of radio shows in 2000. Started being a psychic again after being out of it for like 15 years to be a corporate executive. And that was when the secret had just come out and the law of attraction was like the, the mantra of the day. And everybody's telling me to think positive. And I said, okay, if it makes y'all happy, I am positive the housing market is going to crash. I'm positive. <laughs> this didn't go over well, right? So I feel kind of the same way. I was positive that there was going to be problems in the economy in 2020. But I think it's going to get better soon. I do think that. So I'm, I'm optimistic. My unicorn cup is, is more than half full of glitter. I'm ready for it to be better. Me too. What do you think? How do you feel about it? I think that we are struggling with a lot of old problems that seem to come back. But overall, most people are good and they care for each other and I'm hoping those people will turn the tide. They'll be the tipping point. Do you think that we're ascending to a higher vibration on the planet? I'm always reluctant to use the word ascension about anything, but that's just me. But I will say this. I think that people are going to be nicer to other people because they've been kind of crappy to people lately. Mm -hmm. So I think if we're nice to people, excuse me, and um, see them as people just like us, understand our connections with them, our simpatico with them, I think things will be better. And so I think that that's what's going to happen, Tina. So I do think that things will be better. So from that standpoint, if we treat other people with more respect, we're environmentally conscious. We make choices that are sustainable as opposed to just supporting a select group to the detriment of everybody else. If we make those kinds of choices as a collective, then I think that things will improve. And I think that that's what's going to happen in part out of necessity. But I, I do think that we're going to come to a collective realization that this way in which we're operating is not good for us and that we do something better. So I think that when we do that, I think it will be a kind of a collective, you know, raising of the totality of the way in which people operate. So I think that's a really positive thing. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I expect that to happen. Good. I'm looking forward to it. Is there anything else coming down the pipe that you want to talk about since you're good at predicting things? I don't predict things myself. I keep it to myself. But I have been right about some things, but I don't put it out there like you do, Andrew. I was, I've made a lot of public predictions, a lot. And was never shy about predicting things and was very 
sort of ahead of my time, maybe too often. And then eventually they would show up the way most of the time, not all the time, the way I'd outlined. And, you know, once, um, once Trump was like when Trump was still president, everybody kept saying that he was going to be a major force. And I said, Trump's going to fade faster than you can imagine. So that's impossible. He's the biggest. Trump is going to be in the background and out of your hair faster than you believe possible. And so for me, the four years of Trump were pretty much like a traumatic experience for me. Totally. On top of that, I was in the gun sites of a lot of people who were pro-Trump because I was saying, I predicted that he was going to be in trouble for past financial crimes. This went over, like I said, you know, well, it didn't go over well. I, I said a bunch of stuff that was going to happen. Um, I said he would not, you know, when, when Trump first showed up, everybody, and I don't know if you have the same thing, Tina, everybody was panicked that Obamacare was going to end. And I said, Obamacare will be here when he's gone. He's too disorganized. I said, the only thing that he cares about is changing the tax code. Because it's the only thing that impacts him. So if there's any one thing that will happen, he will change tax laws. Beyond that, I don't know what he's going to do. So during that time, because he just annoyed me, his behavior annoyed me. And the way in which people operated also annoyed me. And because I was willing, because I'm a loud mouth and show off and whatever the rest of the things I am, I was willing to talk about it. That four-year experience for me was like being in a battle. So since January, I'm just chilling like a villain <laughs> and I don't talk as much. Which is, and I'm not trying to, you know, wriggle out of saying anything, but I've kind of gone back to my dead people and I make my pictures and, you know, and I just let, let people go do the thing. I wrote two books, right, that released, you know, at the end of last year, beginning of this year. One was called Suck My Root Chakra. That's just how I felt about it all. Suck My Root Chakra, 11 Nightmares which was really my response to this positive thinking and love and light hypocrisy that I saw. And so I wrote that book. And then I wrote a book about what I think is the most important issue in the world. And that's sexual abuse. Because what sexual abuse does to people is, is pervasive. It goes on for a long time. It's much more damaging than what people think. What we do to women, and, and men are sexually abused too, but what we do to women is a crime. And we don't, we don't support them in trying to, to move through that. So I wrote a book called Frozen Butterfly um, about sexual abuse. And uh, what I saw, my experiences, when I first started being a psychic in 1987, I was 32 years old. Well, like sexual abuse wasn't really on my radar. I never really thought about it too much. 
But it didn't take me long to figure out that it was like happened a lot. And I think more than anything, that's what has been a dominant theme really of my career as a psychic, excuse me, uh, is having women who've gone through this and continue to go through this and how it impacts them. And, And so I've tuned out since I wrote these two books, I haven't really done as much with, and and now that Trump's gone and I don't feel like I have to say the world's going to still be here in two days, try not to you know jump off the cliff yet. Uh, I'm more laid back, and I'm more like y'all don't need me to give commentary every week that the world's going to be okay next week. And for a couple of years, I kind of had to. I felt. Um, but in a general sense, I think the United States economy, I think the United States economy is going to have some hiccups. I don't think it's as healthy as people think. I think the commercial mortgage industry and all that, so there's going to be some challenges here. There's going to be a lot of people lose their homes and some stuff. There's some, there's some pain points. But overall, I think the economy and life in general is going to be happier, better place. And And I think... You know, I just think things, good things are coming more than bad. And now we can all breathe a sigh of relief because that's what I'm getting from you, that you've been working hard for the past four years and it's time to take a break and do what you want, what you're interested in, talk about what you're interested in. So it's a much better place to be. Yeah. Trump wasn't much fun for me. It wasn't much fun for a lot of people, but it was really not a good time for me. Now I'm like, well, life's good now. And I don't make, don't want to make it in such stark political terms. I don't really care that much Republican or Democrat, although I'm very much a Democrat. If you have a nice, moderate Republican, God bless you. That's fine. Find a middle ground. I'm good. You know, Mm -hmm. split it down the middle. That's perfect to me. But when you take somebody who's all about white people and nothing else, then I'm over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and somebody who is rude and uh, just destroyed every standard that, that we're used to and was combative, I was like over it. And the people that saw him and decided to do the same thing, I was over them too. So. <laughs> But what's now, gonna, what's they're gonna not happen quite to as loud. Those, what's going to happen to those people, though? Because that's a lot of people. 70 million people they're gonna, voted they're gonna for They're going to hope Trump. that people forget. They're just going to try to chill and blend. That's what's going to happen to them. What does that mean? It means they're going back where they were five years ago. Uh Okay, I'm good with that. Because there won't be as many, there won't be a support network for them to do their thing. Yeah. They won't have collective encouragement. Well, yeah, you're, you're, a, you're a badass when there's 12 people standing behind you. Just you and me, dude, what's going to be? So when there's that 12 people, then they change their behavior. When eight of those people are gone, or 10 of those people are gone, then you're not going to be quite as bold. 
So I believe that they're going to chill out based on that, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. I don't think they've suddenly, oh, I'm an angel of being of light and I want to live a wonderful life. I don't think that's going to change. But I think that the public expression of that way of thinking will go back underground a bit. Where it ought to be, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. so that we can try to interact in a way. It's not over yet because they're still on an adrenaline buzz in some sense, but it's going to change, I think, you know. Good. Well, I hope thanks. so, but, I pre- but that's my prediction, too, that mm-hmm. it's going to change. It's been fun. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, thank you for being on the show, and I always enjoy what you have to say. And, thank you. Um, can people find you in some way or contact you? I know sometimes you do readings and sometimes you don't. So the best way to find me is www.andrew-brewer.com. And then I'm on Facebook. Um, and you can get a link to Facebook from my webpage. You know, I do readings. I'm doing, you know three tomorrow and I still do them all the time and um so well thank you so much for being on the show today I really enjoyed having you thank you for inviting me thank you you're you're welcome thank you for listening if you have a weird experience to share please email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com Check out our website on tinakinneyclark.com. Also, we're on Facebook. And like us on Facebook and share your favorite episodes with your friends and family. I look forward to hearing about your weirdest experience.